that we truly might live as sons and daughters of God. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for redeeming our life. Thank you, God, for always being faithful. Even when we're faithless, you are faithful, God. Your mercies are new every morning. We depend upon that. You are forever the same, yesterday, today, and forever. We depend upon that. We're so thankful for your faithfulness to every generation, to this generation, to our generation, that we know that as you've been faithful, you will remain faithful, that you have a plan right now for us in this time, in this generation, that we truly might see the glory of God, that you are raising up your church in this generation, even in the midst of darkness amidst the world in its darkness. I thank you that you're raising up a generation, you're raising up a church for this generation to know and to see the moving of the Spirit of the living God. You're raising up a church to bring forth a reflection of who you are, to bring a dynamic and an understanding of the redeemed of the Lord, that we have been bought with a price, that we're no longer our own, we no longer live just according to self, but we now live in a love for you. We live according to the kingdom of God. And so we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst right here, right now. What you're doing throughout the world through your church. And we give you the glory and we give you the honor. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Move on every heart and every life. Come into this place and encounter each and every one. The situations of life, the places in life that we would give place to you to lead us and to guide us, to teach us, to anoint us, to touch each and every heart in life, to bring your healing, your restoration, your deliverance, to bring that soundness of mind, to allow you to develop the new life that is in us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for transforming our life, working in us every single day to bring about God's good pleasure. We know that it pleases you as we allow you to transform our life that we become more like you, that we truly live as sons and daughters of God. So lead us, Holy Spirit. Guide us, anoint us. As we come together to worship you, teach us that we might know you and reverence you as the almighty God, that you might equip our lives and cause us to live in authority over all the power of the enemy, that in day-to-day -day life we might truly experience the victory and the triumph that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory and all the honor, praise and thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in every heart and in every life by your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Why don't you greet three or four people around you? Tell them that you're glad that you are, they are here tonight. And uh, glory to God. Youth, you can be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Good to see you tonight. It's a privilege and an honor to be with you, praise the Lord, the Church of Jesus Christ, New Creation Church. We're glad that you're here, everybody who's joining us by live stream. As we said this morning, we really uh, hope, I believe God's doing something dynamic in your life. And uh, because that, He is moving in His church as we said this morning, there is two perspectives or two definitions that Jesus used. He only used the word church twice, that universal church. And as we're a part of that, every believer in every age from every place, we'll get to have that great gathering together in heaven with every generation, every, uh, uh, I mean, just to be able to be in the company of believers amidst the throne and the Lamb of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? 
every believer from every generation, Peter, James, and John, the Apostle Paul, will be gathering together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the saints of old, the, the forefathers of old. Uh, what, a, what an honor to be a part of that. But then he said there's a local church gathering that you, you keep unity in, right? If somebody's uh, creating a, a disturbance, you begin to try to restore that fellowship. Uh, and you bring it, uh, if necessary, to the church, the local church. And uh, he begins to define it from the, the understanding, uh, really, that he had. We have an understanding from uh, uh, moving forward the epistles uh, and, and how they were conducting them lives, uh, their lives amongst even the Greeks of that day. But he goes back even to when God told Moses to gather together, to, to have an ecclesia, to have an ecclesia, gather them together, that I might teach them my word, right, that they might reverence me. I'm just telling you, and so often we get to the place where we're not really understanding, as I said this morning, if we could really get that renewed idea before we're done, what a privilege it is, the highest privilege of our life to be members of the body of Christ. And when we begin to see that, how we look at and how we understand each other, right, how we look at uh, and, and respect one another, in that he says you know what there's a place there where even in the new testament church there were people amongst them that were sharing different things false doctrine uh, thwarting the faith of some he said but when we begin to understand that we are together right for a divine purpose and so paul had to address that he said listen you know what you can go around and, and, and say you're of apollos and bring that in and others say well we're of paul he said listen there's no reason to be divided over it but he goes on to say in chapter three you have many teachers but you don't have many fathers in other words he was saying here at the church at corinth i've fathered you right we're not going to be against apollos but we're not necessarily going to bring you know allow the teaching of apollos to divide us in what we're learning, what we're growing is, as a local church being gathered together to worship, to learn his word, to reverence him, to reverence him, right? And so many times we just have to be careful how we even talk about one another. Thinking, well, I can do that. Is it reverencing him? How we pull on one another for our own thoughts, is it reverencing what God is doing? So we learn to reverence him. We learn to live in the authority of his word and raise our children in that same way. That's what he said. That He said that right there in the wilderness, I'm bringing you out of sin. Moses, gather. In other words, have church. Gather together so my word can be preached. People can learn to reverence me and live every day of their life in the authority of my words, right? So in the Old Testament, we see those things where he said this, if you'll obey my word, my commands, right? So we get all legalistic about that, but Jesus came and he gave two commands. And he said, live according to my commands, not legalistically. He said, but I'll write this stuff on your heart. When you're born again, I'll write this on your heart. Amen? And so it's just a privilege and an honor to be a, a, a part of his universal church but it's a privilege and an honor to be a part of a local church as God is bringing people together to accomplish something in the earth. Amen? Uh, bigger than ourselves. Takes growing in ourselves, looking at one another, right? Preferring, considering one another as we grow. I know sometimes people, we said this this morning, there's all kinds of reasons, about 173 million reasons that people don't come together. But when we stand before Jesus, maybe a lot of those reasons aren't really going to stand the test of eternity, right? And so a number of different reasons, but a lot of times, certainly there's been abuses and stuff, but a lot of times we just get self-focused, but as long as we continue to look at Jesus, people even will say, yeah, yeah, I know, the church is supposed to be where we love each other, but nobody's loving me. How do we get out of that? We love somebody else. Amen. We can, be, we can know who we are in Christ and extend ourselves outward instead of really just depending upon that, right? And at the same time, then we recognize and realize when people don't know who they are in Christ and we extend ourselves to them. They don't know. Amen? Praise the Lord. So it's always a great privilege to be together and to worship God together. Amen? To, to reverence Him and His Word together. It says that this reverence of God and His wisdom actually bring long life to us. They bring 
health to us and strength to us. And so we bring it over, as we've said in the, uh, the Corinthian church, he said, you all have gathered together and stopped considering each other and started getting back to yourselves. And he said, it's not a good thing. You're not really uh, understanding what this is all about. And so, uh, again, it's just what God has planned is to bring us together in a great uh, privilege and honor. Open your Bibles to Romans, the 12th chapter. And... Um, Praise the Lord. If you weren't here uh, this morning, or you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give. As Alan always says, uh, we are believing with you. We're thankful, first of all, for your generosity. And, uh, you know, your, your giving reaches into all the world, and it reaches locally. And so, uh, in the jail ministry today, there was another man who gave his life to Jesus in the jail ministry. Praise the Lord. That's good news. Again, uh, all heaven is having a party, even if we can't really get that thrilled about it. <laughs> Come on. Gee, heaven's having a party over one sinner who gets saved. Amen. And so uh, we've been seeing uh, people on a regular basis give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, your giving is spreading uh, here and throughout the world. So we're thankful. We're believing God every day that this will be your best year ever. Amen. And, uh, you know, he was talking, Alan was talking this morning about uh, really, you know, some seasons and times. And, uh, you know, as he's been exhorting us in some different things, I remember, you know, before the first financial um, downturn a number of years ago. I'm just getting old enough to not know exactly how many years have gone by since the last thing. But he encouraged us, get out of debt, get out of debt. And everybody's saying, no big, no problem, no problem, no problem. We got oil and gas here. Things are going to go on for years and years and years. But he kept saying, man, God just is encouraging uh, me uh, that we should get out of debt. And people were just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, boy, it turned. And if you were in debt, it got very concerning. Amen. And so he's, he's come back with some exhortations about what God wants to do in our life. And that's come back up, you know, make sure you get out of debt. And... Uh, just, uh, you know, come across God's plan. Just understand this, you know, they'll start putting out there how high interest rates are going. And it's certainly, there's a number of reasons that you can be concerned about that. But interest rates become very concerning when you owe money. But they become less concerning if you have money in savings. Because I don't know if you know that, if you've had savings, and for years the interest rate for borrowing has been great, but for saving it's been 0.0001%. But if interest starts going up for saving and you just have savings, you're not borrowing, it could be a good thing, right? So there's just different ways to look at it. So we can get really concerned and say, praise the Lord. I'm, uh, God's helped me get out of debt, and I'm growing, and I'll be the lender and not the borrower. Amen? And... Uh, so we're thankful because we enter into God's plan and God is gracious and God uh, causes to, us to be fruitful and multiply. And so we're praying for you. This will be your best year ever. And uh, God is making a way for you where it may seem like there's no way. I got too much debt. There's a mountain of debt. But God's giving you wisdom and making a way uh, for you to arrive at that place that God is calling you to. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we're so thankful. We're so grateful for every opportunity that we have to give. Uh, we're so thankful for this people, to their generosity. We command the blessings of the word of God upon each and every one of them. We know that you supply and declare over them that you supply their every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. Romans, the 12th chapter. We've been in this for a couple of weeks, and, and I believe that where we are right now uh, in Sunday morning and uh, as we're in Sunday night uh, kind of dovetails together. So he begins, you know, as we, we've talked about this, not to be redundant, take a lot of time in, in review, but we hit those 10 and 11, uh, those chapters that many theologians and many, if you've read the Bible over and over, you're like, man, Paul was on a good run uh, uh, through telling us how to live and, and, and the new birth and, and, and redemption and, and how we're, we're walking in Christ. Then all of a sudden he gets into this, my heart yearns for the Jews and God's sovereign. People did this. There's divine appointment. Now all of a sudden we're like, 
do we have a choice or we don't have a choice? And we ended with that, as many uh, 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 scholars have done, and, and they've said, listen, there, yes, there's a, a pull there. Is God sovereign or do men have a choice? And we want it to be one or the other, but both are true. God is sovereign. God is doing things in the earth. God has declared things to us in His Word, but we get to choose to obey Him. We get to choose to heed His voice. We get to know what God is doing ahead of time if we're paying attention and walking it. And so that's what he was saying. He was saying, you know, the Jews began to say, well, what were we supposed to do? We didn't know. And he, he laid out all the Old Testament scriptures that told him that salvation would come to the Gentiles, that they would refuse Him, that God would do everything that He said He was going to do, and that they uh, would have a choice, but they refused to follow Him. And so he lines that up. And he comes out of that really into verse 12, and he says, I beseech you, uh, or chapter 12, excuse me, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Message Bible says it like this. He says that you give God your every day, eating, drinking, sleeping, waking up, you're walking around life right? Not just your church life, not just your Sunday morning life, not just your Sunday morning, Sunday night life. Give your every single day life to Him. So many times as believers, we have a church life and then our rest of the week life is a different kind of life. But in our church life, we're, we're making sure we cover an avenue, uh, our Sunday life, but then there's the everyday life. And Paul said, listen, I beseech you, in order to understand and walk in the very fullness of what Jesus Christ has done for you, this is a way of living. This is no longer a religious activity. This is a way of living, not religiously trying to live every day, but you are a new creation. I am a new creation. He's talking to these Romans who are a new creation in Christ, a new kind of life and a new quality of life. It's not a Sunday quality of life. It's an everyday quality of life. It's a life that has victory over the old life. It's an overcoming life. It's a triumphant life. It's a victorious life over all the strategies of the enemy, over the course of this world that's being dictated by the prince of the power of the air. We now have victory to live a different kind of life, not in the flow of this world, but according to the kingdom of God, led by the Spirit of God. But you and I have to make a choice to give ourselves over to that he's not going to make you he says but if you give yourself as a living sacrifice he said it's just reasonable jesus gave himself as a living sacrifice and we say well see jesus did it he paid the price it's free for us well salvation is free but once you receive salvation right you say he's lord of my life he paid the price i could not pay I receive that price. He's now Lord, so I give my life to Him. That's when the new birth takes place. I become born again. If it's like, you know what, just get me to heaven. I just want to live the same life under sin and bondage, but I believe He died for me so I can get to heaven. He said, this is going to be a struggle. But because He gave His life and we receive it, we understand now my life is not my own. I accepted the price that was paid. My life belongs to Him. Anybody ever have a struggle with that? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> Come on, we all do. We're moving from death to life. We realize something. We desire something more. We desire this new life, but we get caught in between what the Spirit of God is saying and what our thoughts are doing, we get pulled in different ways, and we just say, you know what, today the struggle, I don't know what word to use exactly, but I'm just tired of it, I'm just going to go ahead and do it my way. And then all of a sudden we feel like, well, you know what, I'm not living this new life, I'm just doing it the same old way. But he says it takes that heart where we give it to him. He says, and you're going to have to be careful, verse 2, to not be conformed to this world or squeeze so easily into the world's mold. 
So we think about that many times like, wow, I'm so thankful. I don't live like the world. I'm so thankful. But there's a subtlety that creeps in to bring that conformity to the world, right? And whether it's direct or not, whether it's uh, exact or not, we just shared some, some things about the world this morning, how the world views the church. And if you're not careful... Uh, many Christians didn't think they would ever view the church the way the world does, but they get in the world a lot, and they begin to think, well, you know, the church really isn't that essential in my life. When I can make it, I will. Well, that's just a thinking of the world. The world thinks it's not essential. It's not powerful. So there's just thought processes that if we're not careful can begin to creep in. We hear it every day. If you just listen to the news media, I don't care who they are, conservative or not, you just listen to that every day, pretty soon you're going to be squeezed into a mold, a way of thinking, a mindset that won't be exactly lined up with God. Why? Because it's man reporting, man's ways, what man wants, how man wants to govern, what he's seeing, not what God's seeing. Just reporting on what you see every day instead of what God sees every day. Right? So if the world sees every day, the church is non-essential, but Jesus sees the church as infinitely valuable, then slowly, you know, well, the church, I'm not sure it's that that big a deal. He sees it as infinitely valuable, right? Eternally precious. I don't think it's that big a deal. Then we're being squeezed into a world's mold. So he said, don't be so easily squeezed into the world's mold. Uh, Again, the Message Bible says, without even thinking about it. All of a sudden, we're just saying and doing stuff, acting out our life, without even giving it another thought. He said, don't do that. But be changed by the renewing of your mind. There's something about this word of God, this word, that you can pick it up and you can act like it's just another novel, just another book. You can read it or you can open your heart to it. And there's something supernatural about the book. That the words on this page, the Bible says, they are alive. They are quick. They're powerful. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They penetrate past the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, and they penetrate right to the spirit of man, and they bring life into the spirit of man, and they begin to do something to to minister, to bear witness of the life that we now have in Christ Jesus, and he says there's a change that begins to take place. The word of God, the knowledge of the word of God in the spirit of man causes something that starts a transformation, that the spirit of God in the word, the life of the word, and the spirit of God in your spirit spirit begins to transform and produce a different kind of life begins to draw on a different nature that's now on the inside of you without understanding the life of the word of God the nature that is now in us we struggle but he says all of a sudden once you see that and you renew your mind to that your soul your spirit man receives that he said there's something going on so that you can Prove or approve what is good, acceptable, and perfect. He's not, again, we said this last time, he's not saying study the word so you can debate and be right about what's going on according to scripture. He said, no, start to find out who you are, what God has said about you, what God has said about conduct in your life. And when you begin to act upon it, you will begin to see and prove that this is God's will for you to live this kind of life. He said, it's time to not really be ignorant as the children of Israel were, just listening to what God's saying but not paying attention. But he said, the world will start to govern. Just as it did the children of Israel, they weren't paying attention. They got swept away by other things, desired other things, came captive to other nations. He said, and then when Jesus came, they didn't recognize what was going on. He said, don't be that way. Don't be conformed to the world who doesn't even know God, but renew our mind to the word of God. Get our spirit moving so that we can approach and begin to see that God has a different kind of life for us. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? 
Continue like, what's the will of God for my life? To walk in love. No, I mean really, what's the will of God for my life in ministry? To share Jesus with other people. I know, but really I'm having some struggles here with people. What's the will of God for my life? Forgiveness. Now, I know all that. I want to know the big picture. You'll never know the bigger picture until you realize, wow, this not having anything against anybody is amazing. Huh? When you just put that to practice, Jesus said, don't have anything against anyone. That's what he said. When you start praying, when you approach me in prayer in this avenue, don't come with baggage having something against someone. It'll hinder your prayer life. So when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anybody, just go ahead and let it go. So that you and I, God's saying, so you and I can have good fellowship unhindered by what you have against people. Now listen, I'll just be honest with you. I've had things against people and gone to prayer. It really hinders your prayer life. If you're not careful, you just talk to God about changing those people. And he's more interested in changing you. Well, I can't say that, but I'm assuming since he's more interested in changing me, but I probably need a lot more changing than the rest of you. But, you know, I think I have this pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it, still ever working on it. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, if, he re, if I realize I picked up something as small, I'm like, I'm not having nothing against him. If I found out I said something, I've got to go and repent and go, I'm not carrying anything against anybody. And it is a way better life. So sometimes we're looking for something cosmic out there, and God's saying, listen, if you obey this, you'll prove what my will is for your life, and you're going to find that it's far better. And when you have nothing in there, when you're loving others, when you have peace and joy, you've got nothing against anyone, you start to become an open vessel by which the power of God can move through for someone else. But when not, you've got some stuff even if God's moving through you, you're liable to, it's liable to pick up some stuff on the way through. Right? He says, I want you to be a vessel, pure, ready to be used by me. Are you all with me? So he says, uh, so he encourages him that way. And then he goes on to say, you know, I, 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 for I say through the grace given to me, what was the grace given to him? To be an apostle, to be uh, 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 in authority over them. To every one of you, uh, among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. And we went through that and to understand that, you know, again, we can get to be thinking about ourselves. We'll get into this in just a little bit. He's, he's always cautious about that, watch about that, but that we might really think about what God is doing in our lives. Because we're members, he says, of one body. All the members don't have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He says, so then we have different functions. We have different gifts according to what? According to our ability, according to what we think we should be doing, according to what we want to do more than anything. No, he says, according to the grace that is given to us. So he lists grace that lists some grace that are given to us. And many times we like to pick the ones that we think are greater. Right. Serving isn't all that much fun, and so I believe God's given me prophecy. And then if we don't really understand prophecy in the New Testament term, we can get off base. Why? Because we want to be something that is not what God's graced us or given us faith to be. But when God begins to work, there's some supernatural things that come. Even when we look at Deuteronomy 8.18, he, he lists the grace of giving right here. And God says, listen, I'll give you the power to get wealth that it might establish my covenant in the earth. There's something awesome about a grace of giving and what you do with that. There's something awesome about the grace of serving. There's something awesome about the grace of teaching. And he's talking about these things and exhorting. And then he gets to verse 9. 
After he talks about all these graces, uh, of which, you know, most of the time we're not talking about it, and he says, listen, there's a grace to show mercy. How many of you have been going, dear God, I hope I have the grace of mercy so I can be merciful to people? You don't have that many people. God, give me this grace of serving other people, right? But he talks about these things and, and leading with diligence, right? Giving with liberality, exhorting with great exhortation. We talked about those things. Now he comes to the point and says, listen, you can get, we can get caught up in the graces and the gifts. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not diminishing that. In fact, we'll, we'll spend some time at a later date talking a little bit more about those. But he, he's talking about everybody has a part. But then he has to come back and say, you know what? You can get so caught up in your graces and your gifts that you forget about how to live everyday life as a Christian. It's all about me and my graces. It's all about me and my giftings. And so he has to reel it back in and say, how are we going to live life? Because many times, you know, uh, Brother Hagin used to say this. I know a lot of people don't like this, this term, but there's a reason for it. He says, we can become so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good. And so he, Paul is moving in some thoughts here so that we see, listen, we have some things by the Spirit of God that empower us to go beyond our own ability and to do things, but we have to keep a heart of humility, and then we're going to have to live everyday life amongst people. And so he goes on to say this. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be tr truly sincere. Let the love of God in you truly be sincere. He talks about hypocrisy. He says, don't put on an act about loving God and loving people. He said, don't do that. Let it not be without hypocrisy, uh, but abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And what's he saying? He's saying, listen, when you say that you love God, when you say that you are there, to be sincere, to love God is to hate evil. To love God is to hate evil. And so we're seeing over and over again in Scripture, we're looking at it, and I believe that God is bringing some things back, you know, and He'll always do that. People will move one way or another uh, just to bring some, some correction to what gets off. But the church, if it's not careful, has just said, Woo, God loves me no matter what, and I can live however I want, and I'm going to heaven. And now He's bringing it back to say, wait a minute, I love you, do you love me? Right? If God loves me, then he, he, he doesn't care what I do. Well, no, he loves you. He cares what you do. He delivered you from sin and evil. And so to come back, the real question is not, does God love you? He already proved his love for you. Do you love him? So we saw today, Paul encouraged Timothy that he knows those who are his. And if you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you separate yourself from iniquity. You depart from iniquity. If you're like, I'm with God, but you continue to just live and you don't abhor the evil of the world, then something's not quite working right. He says, we don't look at the world and go, I can still just live like the world, but love God. He said, that's not there. If I love God, then I abhor what is evil. I hold fast to what is good. Turn over to Psalms 97. Psalm 97.10, he says, You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of his saints, and he delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Listen, many times we don't abhor evil, and then we end up in a bad situation, and we wonder, why am I there? Because I'm hanging around these things. I'm getting caught in these things. We're looking at things. We're, 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 we're thinking, you know what, I want to I be in this place. I want to have my, my, my graces and my uh, uh, th gifts really realized. But then on the other hand, at different times when we're not in the church, we're hanging around with evil. And he says, wait a minute, don't, don't live life that way. There's not that church life where you have graces and you're going to have a woo-woo Holy Ghost time. And then you say you love God, but you don't hate evil. And then you get caught. He says, when you love God, you hate evil. God keeps you from wickedness. But if you say you love God and you're doing things in evil, you're going to get caught in that wickedness. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 
Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. So he says, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God. How many of you think that you can reverence God without loving God? They kind of go together, right? In the way that God says. God's not saying, be afraid of me uh, and don't like me. He says that you're going to come be my people, reverence me. He says, the fear of the Lord or the reverence of the Lord is to hate evil. And so over and over, we begin to see this and understand that there are things all around us in the world, but we are now joined to God. We love God. We love what God has done for us. We want to see God do it for other people. So we're separating ourselves from evil, from the things of the world. Turn over to 1 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 12. He says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Now we could have just gone to that last verse, but I figured we'd throw it all in because he told the Thessalonian church almost exactly what he's telling the Roman church right here about how we conduct ourselves in day-to-day living. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Or Romans chapter 12, excuse me. Romans chapter 12. Praise the Lord. So he says, now we're, we're going to cling to what is good. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly kindness, and in honor give preference to one another. So in all this, you know, we think, well, it would just be kindly affectionate. What's he saying? He's actually saying within the body, he's talking to the local church body at Rome, and he's saying you all need to start loving each other like family. Thank you for your enthusiasm. He says start loving each other like family. Now, again, the enemy has come against the family so hard, so many people come into the church family, and they haven't had a good family, so they don't even know how to treat each other like family. But God says there is a brotherly love that exists, and it is honoring one another and giving preference to one another. That word preference means to lead others. And so one of the things in the body of Christ, over and over, I was reading after one writer, he said one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is everybody wants their due recognition. He said, but the mark of it is humility, allowing someone to lead you. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort above, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each, uh, each esteem others better than themselves. Let each one look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others, but also for the interests of others. So he starts talking about how do we look at one another and see the gifts in one another, uh, a respect and honor the gifts in one another. At the same time, when we're re- recognizing the gifts in us, realize that God has put leaders, he's put people in the church. There in Thessalonians, it says, recognize those who are over you and that admonish you in the word of God and esteem them for their work's sake. So we get to the place of saying, he says, listen, if we're going to live in brotherly kindness and looking at that, we honor and respect one another and we give preference. We lead others into good places. We're a good example and we allow others to lead us. And it avoids a lot of offense when we live that way. Back to Romans chapter 12. 
Back to Romans chapter 12. Sometimes it's easy, you know, in the, in the culture that we live in, uh, um, different times, you know, to be a part of something and say, you know what, well, the ones who are over me uh, are somewhere over here and somewhere over there. Well, it's easy to say I'm totally submitted to somebody who has no day-to-day -day, uh, working in your life, day-to-day -day leadership in your life. Well, I follow those ones over there. Well, it's easy that, you know, Jesus, God said, you know what, you can say that you love me, but if you can't love the people you do see, you really don't love the uh, uh, me who you don't see. Sometimes it's easy to say somebody who actually doesn't have any leadership or authority in your life that you're following them, but I can't follow somebody who actually has authority to watch for my soul. Praise the Lord. All right, thank you. We'll keep moving. Romans chapter 12. And again, we're, we're, I'm trying to move through this. You can find scripture after scripture where Paul really is bringing these churches that he's writing to into a place of how we live that day-to-day -day life. Because he said, present your body, your every day, waking up, going to sleep, going around, living to God every day. He said, so we're being changed. We're proving that this life of God is the life that we should live. And in it, we're, not, we're members of one another. We're connected to one another. We have giftings that, that really are enhanced, and they take us in this grace above what we could do by ourselves to minister to one another and to minister to people outside and that's all glorious but then you'll realize even in the midst of that you're going to be faced with day-to-day -day life any of you ever been in a holy ghost meeting and by wednesday you're like my god we need another one of those because i've hit day-to-day -day life huh most of you don't have to wait till wednesday you're like Whoo, wasn't the Spirit of God moving? And you go to work and like, he ain't moving here. <laughs> well, he is moving there because he moved on you here so you could take that presence there. We get too much like, why isn't it happening for me? Why isn't it Why We need church here to make me feel good. And then I need to work somewhere that makes me feel good. And, and if somebody could just recognize me, and he's like, I'm going to come upon you. I recognize you 2,000 years ago before you ever knew me, care about knowing me, wanting me. And I looked down through time and saw you and cared about you and gave my life for you and redeemed your life from destruction. There was a lot about you taking place before you ever even knew you existed. But he also cares about other people who don't yet know him. And he says, if you could get a hold of that, I could utilize you to show somebody me. So how we conduct our day-to-day -day life around people is incredible. He says in verse 11, he says, don't get lagging, don't get lazy, but be diligent. Be diligent in your day-to-day -day life. Be diligent to love one another. Be diligent to study the word. Be diligent in these things. He says, fervent in spirit. Don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Find something to be excited about when you wake up in the morning. I remember when I came here, I came out of Bible school, and I was working in, a, in that closet, you know. If you've been here a while, you know, I just worked in a closet, so I think filling fire extinguishers with dust or whatever. I know it's a chemical, but it's, it's dust. And so I worked with these guys, and I would fill them, and I would set them out, and then they would take them, and they would do the inspection, and they would replace ones that need to be replaced and all that. And these guys were uh, believers, and uh, so we'd sit down at lunch, and I would share with them, you know, uh, things that I was seeing in the Word. I was very excited, and one of the older guys, he said, man, you're excited. He said, I was excited once, and in a few years, you'll settle down. And I'm like, I hope I don't ever settle down. Can't say that I've been perfect at that. But the Bible says, you know what, if we're going to live this kind of life, we have to stay fervent, fervent in spirit. Not just rely on everybody else to keep us excited 
but fervent in spirit, studying the word, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourselves up in your inner man, building yourselves up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. A man that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself, stirs himself up, keeps the fire going within you. Boy, I just wish we had some fire out here. We need fire in you. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Man, when you get fired up about it, serving God, you just serve God wherever you are. Just want to serve God. How can I serve you wherever I'm at? He said, rejoice in hope. Come on, rejoicing in this expectation. Patient in tribulation. (laughs) That literally means when trouble comes, don't try to get out of it so fast. I know that sometimes this flies in the face of what we think about the faith message, like, you know what, just declare it, just speak to it, and it'll go away. There's some things that are coming that the Bible, this patience means, remain in a position through it till you come out. So he said, listen, there's some trouble coming that in order to serve God rightly every day, you don't try to get out of it, you trust God through it. Why? Because he's developing character in you through this difficulty. He's developing faith in you through this difficulty. So, well, listen, I came to church because I thought when I came to Jesus, everything was just going to be okay and it was going to be perfect. And there's a world out there. There's a devil out there. And Jesus has equipped you and given you authority and power, but you have to ha- learn how to use it. And if there's never a problem, there's never an attack, there's never a situation, you'll never learn how to use your authority. You'll never learn how to stay with God and not run away from it. You'll never learn how uh, to speak words of kindness when it seems like everything around you is unkind. You'll never learn how to really conduct our life according to what Jesus said if there's not a difficult situation to put it to the test. And we don't even have to go, well, God's putting me to the test. The devil relishes at putting you to the test. The moment you say, God, I believe that, the devil goes, hot diggity dog, let's find out. Right? But you don't have to be afraid of that. If you believe it. Because if you believe it, the devil say, we'll find out. And you say, let's do it. Let's do it. Because I believe. So when the enemy comes and finds out you believe it, you overcome by faith. So it's when we say we believe it and we don't really believe it that we feel like we ended up flat on our back. But when we really believe it, Through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. We lay hold of it. In other words, we say we believe God, then trouble comes, and we remain in faith till we lay hold of that promise. Because we determine, I believe God, that he will do what he said he's going to do, that he'll perform that which he promised, and I'm staying with him till the end. Because there is no option that is better than staying with him. Well, I was with God and trouble came and I didn't think God was doing enough, so I left him. That is a bad place to be in trouble without God. Well, it didn't seem like a great place to be with God. Yeah, trouble never seems like a great place to be, but when you're with it, you're in trouble with God, you come through it, he transforms your thinking, your faith, and your life when you come out the other side. And when the enemy comes again, you're more prepared and more ready to stand and to trust God that if God did it once, he'll do it again. That he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you wherever you go. That if God is on my side, how can I fear what man can do to me? Since God is for me, who could successfully be against me? There's some Christians that don't, I believe God's for me. Well, but the world's against me. I'm always under attack. There's always a problem. No, if God's for me, you can't be successful against me. Because no matter what I'm going through, he's there every day. And he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And I've chosen that I will not leave his side. 
Because he'll never leave mine. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer, part of our daily living. Not just Sunday living, daily living. Distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Come on, we recognize needs. We begin to love one another. Meeting the needs. Here, in the culture that they were in, even more so, the Christians were under great tribulation, great trials that they were under. There was things happening, and so they began to share things that they had in common. They were hospitable with one another. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Woo! Praise the Lord. Come on, he said, bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Paul said that. Jesus said that. So if you're going to walk in love, you're going to have to love people who hate you. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. Come on, I've had great debates about this. People will actually call to make an appointment in my office to say, I don't agree with that. I cannot like them and still love them. Well, I'm just pretty thankful that that's not how Jesus looked at it. So he says, listen, bless those who persecute you. That word bless means to say something good, to say, to say. Well, how am I going to bless somebody who's giving me a hard time? Because the love of God dwells in you. There's a new kind of life. It's a new quality of life. And he's telling these people, you know, we, we have things that we get upset about. We get offended. We call it persecution. He's talking to a people who are actually being stoned and beaten and thrown in jail. And he said, go ahead and bless them. Come on, now all of you are thinking, well, not all of you. I know some of you don't, but most of us are thinking, I don't care what that says. Somebody stones me and beats me. I'm not talking good about them. There is no way I'm blessing them. Paul can bless them. Those people back then can bless them, but I ain't blessing them. But listen, he's getting to a deeper thing about our conduct and the grace on our life being so powerful that it changes the world around us and the people that we encounter. He's not talking about perfection. We all get, oh, my God, this is going to be so hard. He's graced us and empowered us by the Holy Spirit to do it. We just have to give attention to it. It's easy to get our attention off. It's easy to be conformed to this world. It's easy to not meditate in the Word day and night. But if we're doing what the Word says, we're meditating, we're thinking about it, we're pondering it. We, we come on a situation of life in real time. And because the Word is in us, it, it's what comes out of us. And when it doesn't come out of us, we're like, hmm, that shouldn't have been how I responded to that. Get back into the Word until it just becomes a part of us. I said this this morning, but you know, maybe it's the biggest thing that I took away. There was a number of things Wednesday night. But to realize that our forefathers began to govern this nation and spoke in such a dynamic way because the memorization of God's Word was so in them that when they talked about governing a people, what came out of them, you can find scriptural references to it. Yet they didn't quote, and 1 Peter 2 says, we should do this. And 2 John says this. It was just, listen, men, what are we trying to figure this out for? Hasn't God been supreme? Why don't we do it the way God said do it? It was so in them that they lived that way. And what? They affected people and their effect. Listen, there's been things that are diminishing, but just think about this for a moment. Their effect over 200 years ago, right? It began to change. There was different things. There had to be revival in the nation. But for our modern time, just, you know, if you get real technical with me, it'll just be a bummer. I just want to make a point. <laughs> for all you historians that want to break everything down. But literally, until somebody, really the Supreme Court, changed their view almost 200 years they're speaking the word out of their heart, set a parameter for a nation moving forward. You think it could move your life forward? Could move my life forward? 
said, listen, this is a way of living and governing your life that will take you forward and your family forward. If it was a way of life that could move a nation forward and hold it on some manner of course for 200 years, I'm just preaching a little better than your amen, but we'll keep going. Uh, so he said, listen, this is the place where we, we can look at it and say, you know what, I'm not going to do this, but if I'm going to obey God, I'm going to bless people. I'm going to speak well, even of those who are persecuting me. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. What's he saying? He's saying there's all kinds of things out there. And he said, don't always be chasing after the fame and the fortune. But look at people where they are and humble yourself to be with people where they're at. Because your place of ministry is not going to be with the associating with everybody who's popular or everybody who's famous. Because if you're with everybody who's famous, the famous people are going to be doing all that. You're just going to be walking on their coattails, he says. But when you know God and you're associating with just ordinary people, you're going to have a place to minister and bring life to them like you never imagined and to build the body up. He said, associate with the things, the humble and the things that are there. Don't be wise in your own opinion. You want to be wise in the things of God. Now listen to this. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good in the sight of all men. This is one thing in our culture today that we need to really begin to focus on. And if we're watching the world, you're going to get caught up in it. There's something that, this is my personal preference. I'll just get on it in a second. We'll get right back to the word, all right? But if you've ever been in the same position that I have, it's just like you kind of want to reach through and, 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 the, the tube and grab somebody and slap them a few times and shake them and go, that was not the question. <laughs> somebody will ask somebody, do you think that's right? And they'll say, well, so-and-so did it. What is that? Rendering evil for evil. If they did evil, then it's not wrong for me to do evil. We as the church shouldn't be saying, well, they did it, so we can do it. Well, they've done something, so we can do it. No, we don't render evil for evil. We don't even think that way. If they did it, I'm going to do it back. No, we don't do that. It's not good to get into that mindset. It's not even good to listen to people and accept that. When you see leaders going, not answering a question as to whether something is right or wrong, just saying, they did it, so who cares? If they did it, does that make it right? They won't even answer the question some point, we need people to say that was wrong and it was evil, and I'm not doing it that way. But our culture will squeeze you into that, even as a believer, thinking, well, they did it. It'll be a, a part of your mindset if you watch it. Well, they said it, so I'm lashing back. Right here, it tells us there's a different kind of life to live. Don't repay evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Somebody say all men. Not just all the people who are like you and like you. Good in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you. Somebody say, it depends on me. Come on, give me a little more enthusiasm. It depends on me. Live peaceably with the people you like. <laughs> See, you always get a good amen when you got people moving. Come on. He says, live peaceably with all men. All men. As much as is within you. They may not live at peace with you. They may not want to. They may never do it. But as much as is in us as Christians, how do we live at peace with all men? He said, beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He says, don't go to avenge yourself, leave it up to God. Now, I know this, see, and, and I was reading after this, and many people say, you know what? When he says give it to God, God will repay. We know that God is just, and in the end, everybody will be judged according to their own works. But sometimes we think God will get them. Well, yeah, God will get them. Saved. 
<laughs> and unfortunately, that's part of our problem. It's like if I leave them to God, he's probably not going to make them pay for what they did to me. But God is so good. I've experienced that goodness of God. I don't need to tell the story again. Most of you have heard it. But, man, I, I got crossways with somebody at some point in time. And I thought, man, I was actually actually thinking, I don't really want to avenge myself. But I would kind of like to see you call fire down from heaven. See how that works. Um, just being honest. I mean, that's the old me. You know, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> but, you know, you just think, well, God do that. And uh, instead of calling fire down from heaven, God led me through a process of time where that person who I felt like wronged me and really upset me, God put me in a position, one, to watch them walk the front in a church and be born again. He prepared me for that so I wouldn't go, Come on, some of you right now, if somebody got saved, you'd go, you can't save them. You don't know what they did to me. And God said, I'll save them. That's my vengeance. I'll show the devil he can't use somebody to do evil against you. I'll just get them saved. And then they'll be your brother and sister in Christ. (laughs) So he prepared me. So when they walked up the front, I'm like, glory to God. He says, I'll do you one better. And so I had the privilege of baptizing that person in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But if I'd have taken it into my own hands to make sure they paid for what they did to me, probably never would have seen what God could do. How amazing. Right, but really, you get in, the devil get into your mind, man. If you go ahead and leave that up to God, he's not gonna make them pay. He didn't get them saved or something. He's gonna love them. Well, then I'm gonna have to make them pay. He says, don't do that. Don't get in that mode of thinking. He said, therefore, in other words, if you're gonna do this and leave it up to God, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Like, see there? We'll set their head on fire. Well, there's two ways to look at this. And one one way is this. Uh, History tells us that back in the day that he was talking about, that someone uh, at different times, they had to carry uh, fire with them, lest the fire that they cook with, they did everything with fire, go out. And so if somebody's fire went out, They would go to a neighbor, and the neighbor would give them live coals from their fire so they could start a new fire to cook their food to do whatever they needed to do. So even, you know, again, uh, in the day, uh, you know, Addison shared with us, men, you'll be familiar with this, but in the day, if somebody, a neighbor asked for something, you didn't reject them that for the sake of your name and reputation in the community. So he said, so in doing so, in loving them and feeding them, what you do is you actually equip them. And so they said, you wouldn't just give them one coal, lest it might go out on the way to their house. Said you would heap a whole bunch of coals. They would carry that on their head to their house. So when they got to their house, there was still plenty of coals to start a fire for them to be warm and to feed themselves and to take care of themselves. He said, so by doing good for them, you're like heaping coals of fire upon their head, which will show them the love and the goodness of God. The other way of looking at it is that when they actually see your goodness, the internal burning that they treated you bad will be there. And that's most of what we want is like, burn them with my goodness. (laughs) But I think the first analogy is more like God. He's saying, how do we conduct our life? Well, if it sounds more like God, then we're conducting our daily life in the way that God wants us. So he said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There can be evil all around us. There can be struggle all around us. But God's calling us to overcome evil with good. 
And so again, when we're talking about the body, we're talking about graces, we're talking about giftings, we're talking about individuals and their, their part in the body, members in particular, members of a whole. Paul always comes back around to, in order to be effective in this spiritual life and ministering to others, that we need to be conscious about how we're conducting day-to-day life. Are we doing it with the newness of life that's in us, or do we go back to day-to-day life and allow the old man to rise up and raise, as we would say, raise his ugly head in day-to-day life? But in church life, we live a new life. He says every day, every day with one another in the body, as we go out where people may not like us, let's conduct our life in that grace, in that favor of God, and according to the new life that God's put on the inside of us. And we will be a light in the midst of darkness. We will overcome the evil in the world with the goodness of God. Amen? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, help us to grow. For every person's situation of life, take these words, minister to them, teach them, that each and every one of us might take at least a portion and move out and begin to see what you're doing in our day-to-day life, our day-to-day relationships, whatever they may be, in the church, in our workplace, in our neighborhood. How are we living that life? And what grace is upon us to utilize to help others beyond our own ability, but with the ability that you give us, that truly we might be lights in the world. Truly, we might go from this place to serve others. I thank you, Father, that we're not doing it, as we would say, empty-handed. But I thank you, the anointing of the Holy Spirit rests upon each and every one. As we go from this place, that your favor, your grace, your anointing is upon them. And that anointing that rests upon them not only helps them with things that abound them, but the anointing upon their life that they carry will break yokes of bondage over the lives of people they come in contact with. So help us to think rightly of that which you are doing in our lives. Help us to think rightly of that which you have done for us, that which you are doing in us, and to be directed concerning that which you are doing through us. As we come together today to worship you, to learn of your word, that we go from this place ask you, how can we serve others? That you might be glorified and that you might be magnified. That you might be recognized. That many people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. Because we go from this place to shine as a light. We are anointed by the Spirit of God to do it. And in that and through that anointing, we bring healing and deliverance. We stretch forth your hand and yokes of bondage are broken over people's lives. Whether they know what it is or not, you are working to bring deliverance, understanding, freedom, and salvation to them. So thank you for the privilege and the honor of being called by you, being sent out by you into a lost world. God, we thank you for souls saved into the kingdom of God. Because of the service and the lives of individuals here, grant unto each one of us a boldness to speak your word, that stretching forth your hand, signs and wonders would be wrought in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Why don't you stand up with me? Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus.